Welcome to the five questions for a field service expert podcast. This is the show for field service professionals where we dig into the big questions about field service delivery and management. Every episode, we ask a field service expert five questions that can help you do your job better. Today, we're talking to Jeff Oskin, founder and CEO of Jolt Consulting Group, a business and technology services firm that works with field service organizations everywhere, actually. Jeff is an expert in understanding business goals and translating those goals into concrete action plans that uh, that FSOs can implement and execute. In his 20-plus career, Jeff has consistently optimized business process, uh, business operations, business processes, and managed large-scale programs to achieve the best possible service outcomes. Prior to founding Jolt Consulting Group, Jeff was president of Vironet, a mobile workforce management software company. Uh, and actually, Vironet went on to be acquired by Verisay, which in turn was acquired by uh, a company called Accruent. Before his work with Vironet, Jeff was the director of global service operations for Teradyne, a provider of capital equipment for the semiconductor industry. Jeff, welcome. We are so glad to have uh, some time with you today to talk about your areas of expertise. And thank you so much for the kind words and introduction. Very much look forward to our conversation today. Cool. Listen, so we have five questions for you, as we do for all of our field service experts. Uh, so you ready to get rolling? I'm absolutely ready. Let's go. Cool. So first question, looking beyond you know, basic features, integrations, security, uh, price tables, that type of thing, what, what questions should a field service leader ask uh, providers when they're evaluating solutions to automate and improve their, their service processes? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, you know, we work hand in hand with a lot of uh, service organizations in selecting technology, and invariably, you know, just as you said, they they snapped a grid on looking at feature function and making sure that the software is capable of supporting their business processes, which is all well and good. But in our travels, we've kind of identified two things that most organizations don't think about that they need to carefully consider. The first is understanding who's the team that's actually going to do the work once the ink is dry on a contract. We have found far too often where the team coming in is not as A, capable, or B, knowledgeable about the particular service organization's business. And most of the time is spent educating them on processes and procedures that should come as second nature to a well-run technology company. And so we really encourage uh, folks to kind of look behind the curtain a little bit and, you know, ask to meet and talk to and understand the experiences of the team that will actually be doing the deployment for them. And the second would be oftentimes, uh, in fact, I know of nobody that doesn't ask for reference clients and invariably the technology company will give them the best of the best, but really taking a step back and asking to talk to clients, even if not in a direct industry, talk to clients that have solved the specific business problem that is facing the service organization that's causing them to think about investing in the technology. In our experience, you want to work with an organization, a technology company that has the experience in working with and solving your specific business challenges and problems. So that, again, you're not educating them along the way uh, and hoping that they arrive at the right solution for you. That makes that makes a ton of sense, and I love the notion of being 
familiar with the the individuals who are going to do the work <laughs> after the contract is executed. That's that's uh, very very wise, very sage advice. What what are you know thinking about all your experience as a practitioner, as a provider, and now as, as a consultant and 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 a um, implementation partner? I, I guess is a good way to put it. What are some of the macro trends you're seeing uh, that are driving the industry? And what do service executives need to do to prepare for, for to capitalize on some of those macro trends? Yeah, so I think that, you know, as we listen to and reflect on what we're seeing in the industry, there are really kind of a couple things that come to mind. Uh, number one, there is a growing technician shortage uh, out there in the world. Um, as kind of the baby boomer population that has grown up in the service industry uh, nears or enters retirement age, there has been a bit of a vacuum in terms of the younger generation stepping in and embracing the service as a career. And so that's leading to you know, a couple of things that you know, on the surface may seem as technology driven, but are really driven because of this technician shortage. Things like artificial intelligence, where you're able to tap into the knowledge and minds of your most senior technicians, which invariably are your most senior technicians, and allowing them to share that knowledge, uh, not just on a particular job they may be working, but with a broad cross-section of the workforce uh, to be able to help bring them up to speed quicker um, and in turn uh, expose that newer workforce to more technology that they're used to uh, is something that we're seeing to help try and combat that technician shortage. The, the second kind of macro trend uh, that we're seeing is uh, the beginning uh, introduction of something called outcome-based services. You know, for a long time, the service industry has really been all around you know, break fix and preventative maintenance and service contracts. And you know, while those are all good and wonderful and kind of at this day and age table stakes into the service world, Really, the future is about outcome-based uh, services. And what I mean by outcome-based services is instead of guaranteeing a number of visits or um, a dollar value of coverage, providing a guaranteed uptime for a particular piece of equipment or a guaranteed availability or a guaranteed uh, energy savings uh, in a building management scenario. And basing contracts on that outcome regardless of the number of visits, it may or may not take a service organization to realize that outcome. It creates a, t a tremendous incentive for the service organization. And B, it provides a great revenue opportunity for that service organization because clients are willing to pay a premium for that outcome. Uh, and so that's certainly another uh, macro trend that we're kind of seeing in the industry today. So let's go down that. Let's go a little deeper down that that outcome-based services road a little bit and talk about Jolt for a minute. So you work sure. with organizations that are obviously looking to improve critical business processes, service delivery, and the like, and um, they're implementing any number of technologies to do that. Are, are you seeing in, in either a move to, to deliver more outcome-based services or otherwise? Are you seeing any trends toward or away from particular technologies, whether they're CRMs or ERPs or or even even sort of purpose-built service platforms that um, that solve specific issues. Any any trends toward or away from any of those technologies? That's a very insightful question, Dan. Um, 
you know, it, I guess if we take a step back and look at the, the history of where kind of these systems have evolved, uh, it, it in turn provides the answer to your question. So, you know, CRM really kind of came onto the table uh, and into the picture, driven largely by the sales organization, right? Wanting to understand and build pipeline and grow revenue opportunity. Um, and, and so it's kind of no home has been most closely linked to service or to sales, excuse me. Field service management platforms, by contrast, have largely been around work order management, scheduling and dispatching mobile and making sure that my technicians do what they need to do uh, in, in the appropriate time. And ERP has really kind of been around the back office, the billing, make sure that we collect the revenue that we're supposed to collect for the work that we've done. What we're starting to see uh, in, in more and more uh, because of the outcome-based approach is an integration of the three to provide a more holistic picture, uh, said differently, to improve the customer experience. Outcome-based services are all about the experience and expectations of the customer. And by integrating those platforms more tightly and providing a more integrated view of the experience of the customer, organizations are able to reduce friction between the customer and the, and the service organization in turn, improving that customer experience and in turn, putting themselves in a position to begin thinking about outcome-based service because they now have a more holistic picture of exactly what's going on with that customer. Interesting. So it's really an underlying sort of discipline, underlying, I guess, capability that would, that would enable that, I guess, more, more evolved thinking towards, towards um, outcome-based based work. Yeah, it's, you know, each of the pieces, nothing new necessarily in any of the pieces of technology that exist today, but it's it's putting them together in a more holistic and harmonious way that allows a service organization to have a better appreciation for what it's like for a customer to interact with them. Far too often when deploying, you know, take field service management, for example, when deploying field service management, Oftentimes, and we use the analogy, people's backs are to the window looking inside the organization and looking at, the, at ways that field service management can help the internal processes of the particular service organization. What we're encouraging people to do is turn around and look outside the window and look at the experience of the customer and design your processes and your infrastructure to minimize the friction that that customer has in interacting with you. And, and that invariably leads to putting infrastructure and integrating that infrastructure in a manner that lends itself very, very well to an outcome-based service model. That, that, that is very, very good counsel. Let, let's go down the, the technology road a little bit further. Um, we ran a survey not too long ago, six months or so, just to get a sense for the number of technologies that an organization uses, a field service organization uses to manage their operations. And, and it's cert certainly N is greater than one. Um, <laughs> what, what systems do you think, as, as, a, as a consultant to, to the space, what, what systems should a field service leader be thinking about as they zero in on things like um, strengthening their competitive advantage versus just sort of getting getting past you know um, first time fix rate and, and sort of the, the the blocking and tackling. Yeah, so I, I think you know we have to work with an assumption here that the service organization has a, a, let's call it a, a present day generation uh, field service management platform. Right, they've got 
a scheduled dispatch mobile infrastructure that allows uh, them uh, to get outside of managing the fires associated with most traditional service organizations. So with that kind of assumption in place, the couple of things that come to mind are number one, analytics, uh, number two, uh, the Internet of Things or IoT, and number three, just tighter integration, not necessarily a new system, but back to the conversation around you know, putting a more holistic uh, view of the software that is in place through just integration. And, you know, so from an analytics perspective, it's having uh, a view uh, into the data that cuts across the different disciplines, again, from a customer perspective, understanding what is the experience of the customer like and what are the where the, the, the rub points that I can eliminate from my internal process to make that external experience uh, so much the better. Uh, from an IoT perspective, how can I start investing in that technology uh, in a manner that is gonna allow me to participate in an outcome-based service world? Uh, and that means different things to different people. And then, as I said, from an integration standpoint, thinking about how can I take the investments I've already made and make them communicate with each other better so that again, I can look to extract friction from the process from a customer perspective. Easier, easier said than done, no doubt. Very much so. Um, so crystal ball time, let's talk mm -hmm. about sort of where you see things going in, 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 the, in the industry. Where, where do you see uh, field service heading in light of, we've, we've all read about it, right? Heightened, customer expectations, real-time uh, communication updates. And then, of course, you, you referred to it a minute ago, IoT in particular. Um, as a consumer, I, I engage in, I, I consume emerging technologies. I adopt them quickly. I suspect you do too. If that's our mm -hmm. customer, um, wh where is the industry headed with, with those kinds of pressures being put on field service organizations? Yeah, so interesting. You know, I think there's probably a, a two-step uh, hop here that we need to make. You know, the first is looking at, you know, why are things like IoT and artificial intelligence, you know, what's really the purpose behind them? And and I'm going to go back to, and you know, I don't want to harp too much, but I definitely want to make the linkage between IoT and the outcome-based service model. You know, what IoT is really about is, you know, not so much about monitoring different devices, but rather about creating uh, an infrastructure, a technology infrastructure that allows me to, in real time, monitor what's going on in the network that I'm being paid to manage so that I can be more in control of my service resources so I can deliver to my customer a higher level of service than the competition. And that leads to kind of step number two, which is, you know, organizations that view service as, you know, no longer an afterthought, but really service as the key differentiator for helping their overall organization grow, right? Not just the service P&L grow, but the entire organization's P&L to grow. Those organizations will, are, are the ones that are investing today in their really kind of the three tenants of any good business, which is their people, their process, and the technology. We've talked about the technology, but let's not forget about investing in the people and investing in the processes that uh, that technology is inextricably linked to so as to produce service as a great differentiator for organizations. 
Well, Jeff, I have to say, I, I wish this podcast were called 10 questions for a field service expert because <laughs> there's, there's probably a whole bunch more we could discuss and maybe we need to do a part two to this. Uh, but that actually brings us to question num- number five. We're, we're wrapped up. Uh, I want to I want to thank you for clearly your your um, very seasoned perspective uh, on on these topics. And uh, thanks for spending a few minutes with us today. I appreciate it. Dan, my pleasure, and you know, happy to uh, participate in round two if so desired. And uh, I love the work you guys do, and uh, and wish you continue it. So uh, best of success, and thank you very much for uh, including me. Thank you, Jeff. You can learn more about Jeff and his team's work at joltconsultinggroup.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening to Five Questions for a Field Service Expert. For more expert views on field service, subscribe to the Mobile Reach blog at mobilereach.com.